welcome to episode 32 of the Sports Talk with Hunter. I am joined by the host of 211's Baseball Talk, my good friend Dylan Baker. Dylan, how you doing? I'm doing great, Hunter. Good to be on the podcast. Good to catch up with you after a little while. Yes, it is. It definitely has been a while. Uh, so we're going to be talking about the World Series. It ended this week. The Braves won in uh, six games. And so my first question is, what was the key for the Braves in winning the World Series? You know, Hunter, I really feel like the, the Braves' bullpen was their biggest uh, reason for that World Series win. Yes, the offense was good with the pieces that they acquired the deadline. Guys like Jorge Soler, Jock Peterson, Eddie Rosario. But once you got into that bullpen, Matzik, Minter, Smith, those are three guys who were pretty much – dominant in in that postseason and that was uh even more evident in the world series i mean will smith didn't allow a run in the entire postseason and he was not even the story because tyler matzik was pitching big innings aj minter every time he went out there he'd go multiple innings once you got like to the sixth or seventh inning it was pretty much over for the astros and the astros they're a team that you know thrive on their comebacks as we saw in the alcs against the red sox when they won nine to two i believe it was game four at fenway um, so the Astros just couldn't do that against the, the monster the Braves had in the bullpen. Yeah, and about that Astros offense, like, I just want to give my uh, viewers some perspective here. Like, how hard is it to, like, really limit that Astros offense with Altuve and Bregman and Correa? I mean, those are some three studs, and they have Gurriel and other guys. Like, how hard is it to really limit that line with the way the Braves did? You know what, it's, it's tremendously hard because you mentioned guys like Correa, Altuve, Bregman, Guriel, but they've also got Michael Brantley and Kyle Tucker. And it felt like everybody in that lineup, with maybe the exception of Martin Maldonado, who's not really known for his hitting, stepped up in the playoffs and, and played even better. Jordan Alvarez, a guy that neither you or I have even mentioned yet, he was the ALCS MVP. They, they've got so many good hitters and they lay off so many tough pitches they do a really good job when they're up there at the plate, and, and they're hard to contain, but the Braves, they did that in the series. Yeah, and we're going to uh, now move to the Braves side just a little bit more and just talk about this Braves team the entire season. They lose Ronald, Ronald Cunha in the summer. Uh, they pick up Jack Pearson, Jorge Soler, Eddie Rosario, and then they lose Charlie Morton, game one of the World Series. So I just want you to talk about the resiliency of this Braves team because no one expected them to be here. Everyone's thinking it's the Dodgers preseason. And then the Giants uh, kind of surprised people in the season, regular season, but nobody thought of the Atlanta Braves winning the World Series. No, I think if you ask a lot of people preseason, when they had Acuna, when Soroka was supposed to come back midseason, when they had all these guys, they would have said, if you were to tell them the, the Braves are going to win the 2021 World Series, people would be like, yeah. Yeah, they are. But after the start that they got off to, after losing Acuna in Miami, after being told Soroka retore his Achilles and wasn't going to be back, losing Charlie Morton in game one of the World Series, I don't think there was a team that faced more adversity than these Atlanta Braves, and they were able to overcome it. I think that the pieces that were picked up at the trade deadline by GM Alex Anthopoulos were, were tremendous for that team because Soler, Rosario, and Peterson not only had a, had a bit of an impact during the regular season, but in the playoffs, they were huge. I mean, Soler was the World Series MVP. Rosario was the NLCS MVP. And Peterson came up with big hits. I mean, the Braves just overcame all the obstacles. All their guys, it felt like, got off to slow starts to start the season, including Freddie Freeman, 
who everyone was like, oh, the MVP season was a fluke. It was just 60 games. Everybody knows Freddie Freeman's a good player, but they didn't think he could live up to that MVP caliber after the start that he got off to. But sure enough, he turned things around. The Braves did as well. And after that all-star break, they were a completely different team. And uh, you know what? The Braves, quite the story in this 2021 season. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that point. And I think the thing that was kind of fascinating is nobody really talked about those trades the Braves made because after that, the Yankees pick up Anthony Rizzo, the Red Sox pick up Kyle Schwarber, the Yankees also pick up Joey Gallo. There's a lot of big names kind of moving around, and the Braves kind of under the rug kind of made some sneaky good moves that turned out to – pay really big dividends down the stretch and in the postseason yeah for sure i mean like you mentioned gallo rizzo schwarber you know barrios to my blue jays at the trade deadline nobody talked about the peters and soler and rosario moves they were under the radar they were good key pickups they were guys that you could play on the bench adam duvall another guy that we haven't mentioned he was picked up at the deadline from miami after being non-tendered by the braves last season duvall had i believe nearly a 40 homer season this year and led the nl in rbis So these small little pickups, it was quantity over quality in the regular season. They got four outfielders, completely remade their decimated outfield because of injuries. And Marcelo Zuna was suspended midseason as well. So they didn't have Acuna or Ozuna, who they expected to have. Inciarte couldn't play in the outfield as well as they thought he would. Pache was still in the minor leagues. He was up and down all season long. So they had to remake that outfield. They got four new guys, guys that they could platoon, slot in where they were going to have the most success. And man, oh man, did it ever work for them. Yeah, it sure did. And uh, now we're going to talk a little bit Astros here. Um, obviously, coming out of this uh, very disappointing season uh, for the Astros, considering that they did not win the World Series. But there's a big question surrounding Carlos Correa. He's a free agent this year, uh, this uh, free agency. So... My question is, do you think he's going to re-sign with the Astros or is he going to be on the move? I mean, all signs right now to me, Hunter, are indicating that they're going to move on and they're going to they're going to part ways because I think Correa is going to going to sign somewhere else. I think the, the offer that the Astros were giving him wasn't quite up to his liking. And I think maybe just maybe if they had won the World Series this year, he'd be willing to take a bit of a pay cut than what he'd get with another team. But they lost the World Series. Correa is a tremendous player. And the offer the Astros have on the table is not one that he wants to to sign. So I think that if maybe the Astros up their offer, there's definitely a chance. But from what I've heard, I don't think he's coming back. Another thing to consider is the CBA is up and there could be, you know, a strike next season because the uh, Players Association and the league can't seem to agree on anything right now. So that's another thing to consider. Maybe he goes back because Houston might have the only deal on the table because they, they, they want him back badly. And maybe the other teams don't show as much interest as he would like to see because of that impending CBA or the impending CBA negotiations. So a lot factors in, but I do think in the end, Carlos Correa will not be a Houston Astro next season. All right. And then uh, Astros just announced uh, they are bringing back Dusty Baker uh, for one more year, uh, at least for another year. I think did a really good job with this team. Uh, Once again, just like last year, so, I mean, do you like the move to bring him back for another year? I love Dusty Baker. And I was sort of rooting for the Astros in that series, you know, despite all the cheating stuff, simply because Dusty Baker is one of my favorite managers 
to see have success in the big leagues. He seems like a really genuine good guy. All of his players love him. And he seems like a really good time. I mean, I'm sure you saw the videos posted on, on social media of him celebrating with the team after the ALCS win. Dusty seems like a, fan, a phenomenal dude. And he was the perfect guy, I think, to bring in after the cheating scandal in 2020 when they really needed somebody to come in, kind of calm the clubhouse down, say, listen, guys, you're all talented players. I believe in you. And they really bought into the message that Dusty was preaching. Sure, the 2020 season wasn't really, the 2020 regular season wasn't really great for the Astros. They had a, a record under 500, but with the circumstances, they made the playoffs and they made it to the ALCS in those playoffs. So I think Dusty was the perfect choice. And listen, I think that for, for Dusty, he, he had signed a couple one-year deals. He signed a one-year deal in 2020 and then signed a one-year deal again to come back this year. Signs a one-year deal to come back next year. I think right now, unless the Astros have a really bad season next year, the offer is going to continue to be on the table for Dusty Baker to come back so long as he wants to. Yeah, I kind of interesting point that you made there that he was the right guy to bring in after the cheating scandal because he really kind of, I would say, like shut down a lot of critics or he told them to, you know, kind of be quiet. And like these guys are really good baseball players. And just because they cheated, that doesn't diminish the fact that they are good baseball players. And all right, now we're going to um, move on to a quick general baseball question. So uh, we talked about Carlos Correa in free agency, but potentially moving. But besides Carlos Correa, who else could be on the move uh, this free agency? I think we'll see a lot of moving pieces this year. I mean, there are guys that are currently opting out of their contracts because they want, you know, new deals elsewhere. A guy that I think of is Nick Castellanos, who had a phenomenal year with the Reds who's really turned himself into, I won't say a superstar just yet, just because he maybe doesn't have the hype that others do, but he's putting up superstar level numbers. So Castellanos is a guy I think we see move. I think there's a really good shot. We see Corey Seager move on from the LA Dodgers. The shortstop market right now in free agency is, is a very good one. I think Marcus Simeon probably goes elsewhere. As sad as I am to say it about the Jays, he was a great piece for them this year. But I think, you know, there are other teams that are going to make a play for him. And the biggest question for me, and it's definitely not the biggest name on the market at this point in his career, is Clayton Kershaw going to be a mm. Dodger next year? Mm. Because I don't know if they have a spot for him with the young arms that are coming up, but at the same time, I can't picture him in any other uniform besides an L.A. Dodgers uniform. Yeah, I, I can't either. He's been so synonymous with the Dodgers and – yeah, like you said, I can't picture him in any other uniform. I mean, that would just be crazy, man. And the point you make about Corey Seager is a great point. They already have – they picked up Trey Turner and from the Nationals on the trade deadline, so you knew they were going to have to pick one or the other. And you very could be right that it is Corey Seager. Uh, so now we're going to wrap up with our final question of the day is – um. Buster Posey also announced his retirement uh, this week. So just want to open up for you to have any thoughts on Buster Posey. Uh, I'm going to open that by saying he is a Hall of Famer. Buster Posey deserves to be in the Hall of Famer. Yeah, no doubt. He did not have the longevity that a lot of people look at and, and say, okay, this guy's in the Hall of Fame. Like Albert Pools has been around mm-hmm. For probably almost twenty years now, I'm not sure what the exact numbers are. Yeah, I mean, a guy he, like he played in the uh, NLCS a little bit at first base with the Dodgers. <laughs> I mean, he's still around. Yeah, 
Yeah, and he's playing in the Dominican League right now throughout the offseason. But, yeah, like, Posey didn't have the, the crazy long career that a lot of other people in the Hall of Fame did. But if you look at those numbers, I mean, they're incredible, not only for any position player, but for a catcher as well. Like, uh, being a catcher is one of the most grueling and demanding positions physically because you've got to be squatting half the time. It hurts your knees. You've got to know every sign, and you've got to be able to withstand foul balls off the arm, off the head, off the leg. You've got to be ready for that stuff. And when Posey was young in his career, and, and I'm sure a lot of people, a lot of baseball fans remember this moment, when he got trucked and broke his leg, he's the one who changed that collision rule at home plate because mm. nobody wanted to see something so gruesome happen to a baseball player again. If, he, if that injury doesn't occur, those numbers – only get better. And, and if I'm not mistaken, that happened in 2011. I could be wrong about that because I know I was young at the time. But the Giants won in 2010, 2012, and 2014. Every single one of those years, Buster Posey was a pivotal part of those runs. Not only with the bat that he had, not only with the arm strength that he had, but that pitching staff was as good as it was because Buster Posey was their catcher. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I know I think it was just a 12-year career and compared to some other guys, that's not as long. A lot of Hall of Fame voters who are old school are still looking at 18-year careers. Fantastic. Good for you. You spent 18 years in the big leagues. That's really hard to do. Maybe you should be in the Hall of Fame if the numbers are there, but we shouldn't diminish the results of a guy who's been in the league for 12 years because he didn't spend as much time in, in MLB. Buster Posey is a phenomenal baseball player, was a phenomenal baseball player, and I think that he should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I don't know if he gets that treatment. Depends on where the voting is at by the time he's eligible. But Buster Posey will and should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, well said. I mean, I have pretty much nothing to add except, I mean, Buster Posey was a, a great player, a great catcher. And his leadership on that team is also something that kind of helped help the Giants along the way just his presence there gave you the chance with his bat with his elite catching skills and yeah in order to I mean to have a good baseball team to win a world series I mean the catcher is one of the most important positions on the field in my opinion I mean I'll let yeah. you yeah yeah no for sure I mean the catcher's gotta gotta call the signs he's gotta know you know okay this hitter is better against breaking balls so maybe we bust him up and in with fastballs He's got to scout these guys. He's got to know them. And he's got to know from his pitcher's perspective what's working that given day and what's not. Like if you're, if you're my pitcher and I'm your catcher and you've got a really good slider, but that slider's not working today, maybe we throw the change up a little bit more. Maybe we throw the fastball a little bit more. You've got to understand your guy out there on the mound. And Buster did that. I think that's a really good point you brought up about the leadership because he's a tremendous leader as well. And we talked about Clayton Kershaw and the Dodgers and not being able to picture him in any other uniform. You mentioned that he's synonymous with the Dodgers. I would go as far as saying Buster Posey for this generation is synonymous with the Giants. I know for a lot of other people, it's probably Barry Bonds. But for me and for you growing up in the Buster yeah. Posey era, I'm sure that Buster Posey, when you think of the Giants, you think immediately of Buster Posey. Yep, that is very well said. Uh, Dylan, it was great having you on. Uh, it's great catching up and uh, hope you can join very soon. Yeah, I know. Thanks, man. Once again, thank you to Dylan. Uh, now we're going to move on to some Week 10 college football predictions. One interesting stat about the top four teams in the CFP rankings are that all four of those teams are either coached by Nick Saban or former assistants of his. 
toe. The head coach of Georgia, Kirby Smart, a former sister of Nick Saban, number one ranked team in the country, the number two ranked team in the country, Alabama, obviously coached by Nick Saban. Number three, number three team in the nation, Michigan State, head coach Mel Tucker, former assistant of Nick Saban. Number four team in the country, Oregon, former assistant. Their head coach, Mario Cristobal, is a former assistant of Oregon. Uh, I think that just shows you the greatness of Nick Saban, that, that he has, that three of his former assistants are in the top four with him in the rankings at, at number two. So... And he continues to produce great assistance each and every year. Uh, I mean, teams look, because of what Nick Saban has done, teams look for, for his assistance when they're for, their, for their head coaching vacancies. And it to me, it's really smart because they know how to coach. Nick Saban prepares them. Nick Saban prepares them to be head coaches. So... I mean, you see with Steve Sarkeesian, now he, former sister, he's at Texas. So, I mean, he just he just produces assistance to head coaching jobs in college football each year, really. Uh, so, yeah, just, just wanted to point that out. Now we have some predictions for Week 10, number 9, Wake Forest versus UNC. I really like the way Wake Forest has been playing. Uh, Sam Hartman's been playing very well, their quarterback. They don't play a lot of defense, but they do score a lot of points. And if you can outscore your opponent, that's all that matters. I like Wake Forest. Tennessee versus number 18, Kentucky. I think Kentucky wants to come out and prove a point after that loss to Mississippi State last week, last Saturday. So I'm going with Kentucky. Number 12, Baylor versus TCU. This is a tough game for Baylor. I do think they do win. I think Baylor wins. Number three, Michigan State versus Purdue. This is a very, very, very sneaky game in the Big Ten. Um, it's kind of this. Could, this could be an upset, to be honest. I'm gonna pick Michigan State in this game. I think the way Peyton Thorne's been playing, uh, Kenneth Walker, the way if, if Purdue if. Michigan State can run the way Wisconsin did against Purdue, then Purdue's in uh, a whole lot of trouble because they can, Michigan State can just hand off to Kenneth Walker and he can just go. Uh, I would think they would have their run defense, you know, play, uh, have the issues figured out. Hopefully they do because if not, Michigan State would just run all over them in this game. And, I mean, the thing is about the rankings are kind of like each year there's always a team that gets right up there to the top five, top four team, and then they lose the next week. It always happens after the first rankings. And this could be it, too. Number four, Oregon versus Washington. Uh, On the road, sneaky game in the Pac-12. I think Oregon's able to pull it out. Number 17, Mississippi State versus Arkansas. I have Arkansas winning this game. Uh, I think Sam Pittman's going to have his guys energized for this game. And uh, Mississippi State's going to be right out the rankings. <laughs> Number 11, Oklahoma State versus West Virginia. Uh, I'm going with Oklahoma State in this game. I think Mike Gundy uh, is able to get his guys to pull this one out. Number 13, Auburn versus 14, Texas A&M. This is going to be a really good game in the SEC. 
I'm going to take Auburn in this game. The way Bo Nix has been playing. The way Brian Harson has got Bo Nix playing. Brian Harson, first-year head coach from Boise State, has done a heck of a job with this team in year one. And he has them 13th in the rankings. I like Auburn. And then that's them two unranked opponents going against, against each other that I saw. Uh, when I was picking the games, I saw very interesting games. So we have Penn State versus Maryland. I, I think Penn State's going to win this game. Uh, Sean Clifford looked really healthy against Ohio State. Um, you know, besides a few turnovers and stuff, they probably had a chance to win that game. Uh, I think Penn State wants to dominate in this game. I like Penn State. Then Texas versus Iowa State. Texas, they they struggled with keeping leads. It's like they played so well in the first half and the third quarter, and then the fourth quarter, everything just falls apart. We saw that against Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. We saw it against Baylor last week. So this is a trend that Steve Sarkeesian needs to put an end to soon. Uh, I'm actually kind of torn between who I'm going to pick in this game. I think Texas continues to struggle. I'm going with Iowa State and Matt, Matt Campbell. Um, still have Brees Hall. Still have Brock Purdy. Uh, even though this Iowa State team isn't ranked, that doesn't mean they're still not a good football team. I think they still are a good football team. They were, I mean, they were ranked high in the preseason AP poll, week one AP poll. Um, has losses to uh, Iowa, then Baylor kind of knocked them out the rankings. So... Yeah, those are my week 10 predictions. Uh, Hope you guys enjoy the day. Thanks. Bye.